What's up, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 249 of the show, and it's part number two uh, of our series that we're doing uh, with Leo Walters Tejera, Leo WT, taking over the show uh, for the month of, of Pride. Uh, so Leo and I were really good friends, and we went to the same school, uh, not together, uh, but at different times. And so we have some, we, we've bonded over our shared experiences <laughs> at the institution. And uh, Leo hosts the Conversations Official podcast. So we got connected a while ago. I don't even remember how, uh, but we got connected and we've been we've been friends. And I help Leo out with some social media things and things like that. And uh, most of you know that my the podcast has been quiet for a while. My father passed away in uh, early in March. And so I just kind of shut everything down, right? I've talked about this already. I've, I've shut everything down and uh, just felt the need to create some quiet space in my life, you know, to grieve and to, to mourn and to, to feel the feelings that are all too easy to stuff down when you're busy and you have things to do. Uh, I felt like this season of my life deserved more than that. And so I felt like I needed to really shut everything down. Uh, my dad, though, loved the podcast and was super encouraging uh, with my work. And so I knew it wasn't something I was going to shut down forever. I just needed to to quiet it for a little while so I could hear my own thoughts in my head. And so uh, Leo reached out and, you know, I've been trying to figure out what the transition is going to look like from going to silence to uh, doing episodes again. Uh, we're going to be doing bi-weekly episodes starting in uh, July, I believe. I don't have the calendar in front of me. I don't know. I think it's July. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to be doing these bi-weekly episodes, and uh, I haven't recorded anything new uh, since February, so all the episodes that I'll be releasing uh, in the summer and into the fall are things that have been recorded uh, for a while. I've just been kind of sitting on them, just waiting to uh, get to the place where I want to release them, but I haven't recorded anything new in a while, so I'm starting to put some things on the calendar for the summer. I think I have like three episodes lined up to record uh, for the summer. We're going to see how that goes, and those episodes will drop probably more towards the winter. Anyway, Leo reached out and said, hey, while you're in this season of quietness, transitioning into these biweekly episodes, if it would be helpful, I'd be happy to do like a three-part series or something for Pride where I like take over your show and share some stuff regarding queer theology, um, LGBTQ inclusion, uh, you know, the Bible, their thesis, all different things. And I was like, yes. Now, I don't just hand the microphone. I said this last week. I don't just hand the microphone to anybody. Like I don't, and I don't even just bring on just anybody on the show. I've been accused of that before. I've been accused of just bringing people on the show for whatever reason because of the topic they might talk about to get downloads and stupid stuff like that. But I don't. I don't really. I don't bring anybody on the show unless I've read their books. If they have books, uh, I know them. You know, like on social media or something like that. Or I've done a little bit of digging into their work to kind of see. Uh, what kind of stuff they're putting in the world. And I can vouch for Leo. Leo is doing incredible things in the world. And so I jumped. I was like, yes, like if you have things you want to share, take the microphone and talk as long as you want. And so last episode, uh, part one of the series, they shared a little bit about their story, things like that. Uh, today, they're going to talk about queer theology, uh, which is a very interesting topic that honestly is new to me just in the last year or so. So they're going to take us into uh, that, just kind of scratch the surface of it a little bit. And then next week, they're going to talk to us a bit about their thesis and some of the work uh, that they are doing in the world. And so 
Uh, really excited for you to hear this episode. Uh, I was editing it. I was listening through it. And I was like, yes. Like, I, I yes. And then when it was over, I was like, there's got to be more. <laughs> Leah, why you stop talking? <laughs> Keep going, you know, because it was so, it was so good. So I think you're really going to uh, enjoy it. Next week, I want to let you know that next Sunday, Father's Day, uh, my new book is coming out, Emerging from the Rubble. And I wrote this book over the course of my the year plus of my dad's um, battle with cancer. And the book looks at the 30 stories from the Gospel of Matthew through the lens of his first century readers. So they were living in the wake of Rome's destruction of the temple, which were the center of their universe. And so in the book, we kind of wonder, like, given that context, how might Matthew's readers have read these stories? Uh, if Matthew, let's just assume that Matthew is writing these stories to them to encourage them and inspire them in the wake of their loss, how might they have received these stories given that context? And then we wonder together, what is our fallen temples in our lives today? And how can we receive these stories that Matthew is sharing about Jesus? What could they might they mean to us uh, today as we sit beneath the rubble of our own collapsed temples. And uh, I'm really excited about it. You know, it, I don't know, it, 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 it was almost like writing it was almost like beginning to process my own loss, trying to navigate my own grief. And that's like an ongoing thing. And I say this in the book, like you're not going to read the book and then get to the end and be like, oh yeah, like I'm over my grief now. Like it, it doesn't work like that. That's not what the book is about at all. Uh, the book is just to help you feel less alone in the midst of your grief. And I think that was what was important for me is because when you're grieving and you're, you, you feel like the, 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 the sand is slipping between your fingers and like you can't stop it. You know that time is running out. Uh, you know that the thing is coming down. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, you, it can be a very lonely experience, right? And so I was writing this book and with this idea of helping people feel less alone in their own grief. And I talk a little bit about, you know, my dad and stuff like that in the book, just to mention it a few times. But the book is really geared towards that person who has lost something or someone significant to them and is trying to pick up the pieces and figure out what it looks like to take a step forward. Um, it could be the loss of a loved one. It could be the loss of your own health, getting that you know, bad report from the doctor. It could be losing a job. It could be a, a divorce. It could be you know, a loss of a relationship with a child or with a parent or with a sibling or with friends or with a previous church, right, who isn't happy with your deconstruction, right? We have all, all of us have different kinds of temples that have come down. And so the book really encourages you to get in touch with that place. What is that place for you? Uh, which could change daily, right? When some of us have multiple temples coming down at the same time, and one temple today might be bothering you more than the one that bothered you yesterday. So what is your temple that's down today? What is it that you're struggling with? And then what might these 30 stories uh, have to say to us as we're sitting covered in the rubble, the ash, and the dust, trying to figure out what it looks like to move forward? So this book releases next week on Amazon. Uh, it is self-published. Um, and people tell me all the time, like, why, why self-publish? Why not get a publisher? I'll be honest with you. I mean, I talked to a few publishers and I was close to doing it with one of them, going with one of them. But I just love the process of creating things. 
And the last book was also self-published, but I hired somebody to do the formatting for me to get it formatted for Amazon. This time around, I'm like, you know what? Like, I feel like I want to try to do this myself because I love to create things, right? I love the idea of starting with a blank screen and then all of a sudden, like a year and a half later, having a book in my hand, right? That I wrote, I formatted, um, I edited. I had some help with the editing. I had a couple people read it. Um, I did the cover design, all the different stuff. Like, I just brings my heart to life. And I love it. And so it's uh, it's self-published, available on Amazon. Uh, it will be available uh, in Kindle and also uh, paperback. Uh, you can do Kindle if you want. There's nothing wrong with that. But the paperback is pretty good. I mean, I, I, I got a test copy and I gave it to my wife. And she's like, I like the way this book feels in my hand. The paper's nice and thick. It's nice and bright white. The cover is like a matte finish. Looks pretty good. So if you want, if you if you could do the paper, if you could if you if you could wait a little while to get the paperback, I would do that. That's uh, a solid choice. Anyway, so it releases next week uh, on Amazon. Uh, all the links will be uh, in the show notes. Um, actually, I'm sorry. The, the The link is not ready yet for Amazon, but it will be ready. So I'll give you the link to my website that has a page for my books on it. And then once the book uh, launches, the link will be on that website where you can go. And you can get to the book. So anyway, uh, what else did I want to say? I think that was it. I think that's everything. Uh, also in the show notes, up on Patreon, if you want to support the show, a uh, link to the support page on the website. You can do a one-time donation. You can do a monthly uh, support. All the money goes to help pay the bills, put the food on the table, all the different things. Uh, that's what the money does. This is one of our streams of income. And uh, we are extremely grateful. I think we have 52 Patreon supporters uh, none of them have abandoned us over the last few months uh, when the podcast was quiet. So thank you for that. Thank you for hanging in there with us as we've been navigating through uh, this time of silence and this grief and all these different feelings. Uh, we are grateful for you, for your love, your prayers, your support, uh, and your encouragement. So again, links are in the show notes. All Leo's links also in the show notes. Go, su- go subscribe uh, to their show on iTunes, YouTube, all the different places. Show them some love. Uh, And that's all I got. Get ready. Queer Theology with Leo WT. Enjoy. Wishing for my people. Uh, we should have more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Hey friends, how's it going? It's Leo WT here for another episode of the What If Project podcast. I'm pinch hitting for my friend Glenn while he takes a little bit of a mental health break and it happens to be Pride Month. So I am very happy to be here chatting with you. For those of you who haven't met me, didn't hear the first episode, uh, I'm a queer person of faith who was assigned female at birth and in many ways was assigned Christian at birth. What's different for me uh, is that I actually chose to remain a Christian um, despite any and all logic, really, especially as someone who had come out. It was not the easiest decision to make, but I decided to make it because 
love it or hate it, Christianity was my heritage. And if I run away, it won't get any better. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to stay, but I personally feel that it was my job to stay. And so here I am as a queer person in Pride Month, ready to talk to you about queer theology. I actually just recently finished up my Master's of Arts in Religious Studies with a concentration in LGBTQ theology and interfaith relationships uh, at Chicago Theological Seminary. So this stuff is fresh on my mind. I eat it, I sleep it, I breathe it, and I live it every single day. So I'm really excited to talk to you about it today. So if you're not quite sure what theology is, theology is essentially talk about God, right? It's having conversations, it's interpreting scripture, it's experiencing the natural world and filtering it through that lens and vice versa. Um, and it also will make you zero dollars and zero cents if you study it, most likely. <laughs> but for me, theology has always been interesting to me because, especially as a queer person, I had to deconstruct everything that I was told about Christianity in order to retain my sanity and in order to be able to push forward with any sort of connection to Christianity as a community. Um, coming out as queer was the shot heard around the world for me. It was the moment that I couldn't go back from. I did first come out as a lesbian, uh, and then later as a trans person, and then later as a non-binary person, and then finally I came out as a pastor. And so sort of all of these things come to bear when I have a conversation about theology, because talk about God can't be separated from the people who are talking about God. And that's kind of what I wanted to just give you guys an introduction to. This topic is massive. People do PhDs in this topic, spend their whole life reading about this topic and writing about this topic, but we're going to try to give you a brief introduction because I'm pretty sure most folks don't even understand that queer theology is a thing that can happen. To start off our conversation on theology, I want to give you guys a little quote from Lynn Marie Tonstad. Uh, they have a book that I'll be referencing later that this quote is from. And the book is called Queer Theology, and the quote goes like this, talking about theology. It's a way of organizing reality to both reflect and change it. I thought that was really interesting because a lot of times, especially in modern evangelicalism, Folks seem to think that theology and God and scriptures are this one immutable thing that cannot be changed and sort of just overarchingly stays the same throughout the course of history and we're supposed to mold ourselves to it. But as the more I've studied theology and the more I've read about theology and talked to people who know way more than me, I've come to think of theology and, and God a little bit differently because I don't believe that it's un unchangeable. I believe that theology in specific is a human discipline that's oriented at trying to figure out divinity, but it's based on humans. It can and probably should change. There have been terrible theological decisions that have been made in the past, namely the idea to support chattel slavery, the ideas to support genocide of Native American people, the ideas to support colonialism. These are all things that were theologically justified at one point, but we now come to realize that they're absolutely and unequivocally abhorrent, and we, we can't go back there. So when I'm thinking about theology, I was taught to think of it one way, but then my whole world was turned upside down by coming queer, becoming out as queer. And that influenced me in a way that was terrifying at first, but I also think 
that it was needed and necessary, and it brought me to be the point that I am today. Like Tonstad said, you know, theology is a way of organizing reality that both reflects it and changes it. So now that we have a little definition, working definition of theology, what is queer theology? When most people see this word or I, I tell them about what I've been studying, they say, like, I had no idea that existed. And that's totally fair. It's a newer discipline, but that doesn't make it any less valid. It's just something that people have been talking about only more recently. I mean, it's not even that recent. Like, we're talking 70s and such um, that it started becoming more studied and more widely written. So queer theology kind of has a couple parts. Uh, it kind of has a couple focuses, and it, it has some ties um, to other schools of thought that kind of it kind of springs out of. Queer theology has a lot of influence uh, from liberation theology, which is theology born out of the struggles of Christians and uh, you know leaders in Latin America that were undergoing sort of social changes and and religious change or and political changes. Um, so it's a, a theology about what it means to be liberated. And the standpoint of liberation theology would be that the end game or the goal of theology and of God would be the liberation of all people. So queer theology has a bit of that flavor. It also has a bit of queer theory, which goes beyond LGBTQ existence, right? So when we talk about queer theology, it's not just theology relating to queerness. Just as queerness is not an apology. Queer theology is not an apology. My existence is not an apology, right? So we start from a point of apologetics, but we don't end there with queer theology. So for that starting point in apologetics, apologetics is basically like proving your point using the Bible, essentially. I don't find apologetics to be very beneficial because I think the way that most people treat the Bible is kind of flawed. A lot of people treat the Bible like like it's this like people treat theology and God that it's this immutable, unchangeable thing throughout the course of history, but I don't see scripture that way. I see scripture as uh, God breathed and God inspired, but I don't think that it's inerrant. So I don't necessarily feel the need for apologetics, but I know that that's not where everybody is. So in a conversation about queer theology, we can start at apologetics. We can start at looking at the scriptures and using them to affirm the identity of LGBTQIA people. We can start there for sure, but we don't have to end there. If you want to read more about that, and uh, you want to kind of dive into the Bible verses that relate to queerness, you can totally do that. And I'll drop you a good reference. Um, as this is an overview, I'm, I'm going to reference you out to a lot of other more in-depth work. But one of the best books that I have read on talking about scriptures that relate to LGBTQIA existence is the book Unclobber by Colby Martin. He goes through any passages uh, that are usually leveraged against LGBTQIA people, and he dissects them, and he breaks them down. Uh, and uses them to, or uses his knowledge to unclobber those clobber verses. So that's definitely where a good place to start. But there is absolutely a theological way to interpret the Bible and to interpret the world and to interpret existence that is absolutely open and affirming of LGBTQ people, if not downright celebratory of queerness. And I would encourage you to read some more about that. 
Speaking of being celebratory of queerness, queer theology goes so far beyond apologetics. Queer theology says, I'm not apologizing for my existence. I'm actually asserting that my existence as a queer person is something that is special. My existence of, uh, as a queer person and my experience of queerness informs my theology in a way that is holy and good and beneficial and otherwise unknowable from a non-queer perspective. I know I talk fast when I get excited, but this makes me super excited because when I started to understand that my existence as a queer person was not an apology, I started to be able to understand that my existence as a queer person was in fact something that was divinely inspired and was holy and was good. I was no longer apologizing for who I was. I no longer apologize for who I am. But I think that my existence as a queer person says something about divinity and it teaches us something about the universe and about the way the world functions. When I talk about going beyond apologetics, being queer and experiencing the world from a queer lens, it informs how I understand the world. It informs how I understand the Bible. It informs how the Bible understands me. These are all things that are reciprocated and that go back and forth. If you need some good resources on a theology that is interactive with divinity, you can check out Thomas J. Ord. Um, he talks a lot about open and relational theology, which is an idea that we interact with divinity and divinity interacts with us, and both parties are changed in that interaction. You can also see some episodes that Glenn has recorded with Thomas. But my queerness interacts with divinity in a way that is good and beneficial, and I would argue needed for the world and particularly for the church. Honestly, the church needs queer people more than queer people need the church. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about queer theology. Queer means existing outside of binary categories. So true to its definition, queer theology exists beyond the category of just justifying and apologizing for queer existence. And it teaches us something about the rest of the world. Queer theology teaches us that different parties and different belief systems and different people interact in these interstitial spaces, and we are better because of that interaction, not worse. We are stronger because of that interaction, not weaker. And that's what queer theology really starts to get into, to dig into, and to really unearth from the scripture and from the universe, right? is that queerness and mix these mixing and these interstitial spaces where different systems come together teach us things. And that for me is why queer theology and interfaith studies go hand in hand, because I think for a long time, Christian exceptionalism has ruled the world. And this idea is that there can be only one and everything else is evil. And I think that that is a lot of posturing that allowed certain people to stay in power. But I think that a queer understanding of interfaith engagement, meaning existing beyond just one religious idea or another, but going beyond the binary and seeing what these things contribute to each other, I think that that is a queer theology that brings so much to the world. If you think about it, 
if a black person in America reads To Kill a Mockingbird, they're going to have a completely different experience of that text than I am as a white person who grew up with cis privilege, who grew up with able-bodied privilege, who grew up with access to education. I'm going to read To Kill a Mockingbird differently than someone who did not have all those things. Even just the one category of black versus non-black, that's going to be a different experience of that book. And I think that that's what queer theology is saying. Queer theology is saying all of these perspectives come to bear on a text and teach us new and different things. Within queer studies, there's transgender studies, uh, transgender theology, there's bisexual studies, there's bisexual theology. There's all sorts of new ideas and interpretations that come to bear. And before people want to come fight me, read the books and then we'll have a conversation, right? But all of these voices have so much to say. And all of these experiences teach us things that we could not know if we did not look outside our own perspective. My perspective will only tell me one thing ever. But my wife, who is Puerto Rican and uh, is a lesbian and is a mom, like her experience is going to be totally different than mine. And that's why when we come together, we're better and we're stronger and we understand more. And that's the idea behind queer theology, that there is more to be known outside of the binary than there is to be known within the binary. I know that that's a very big, very broad answer, but queer theology is a reorientation. It is a, it is a reposturing from a limited understanding to the realization that there is so much more to experience and there is so much more to think about and the bible and and divinity can tell us more than we could ever come to on our own so i know it's a broad answer but please hear me when i say it's not just one thing queer theology is a reorientation and a reposturing of openness to see that there is more I want to give you folks a couple books that you can look into if you're interested. Now, these are books I read for um, for school, so they may be a little bit scholarly, but they're absolutely worth the read. And I really had to limit myself to some basics because, like I said, I've been reading about this for like three years now. So I'm just going to show you some covers for those of you who are watching it on a video, and I'll list the names and the authors, uh, and we'll also get those in the show notes for you. But the first book I would recommend that you start with is called Queer Theology by Lynn Marie Tonstead. This is a general overview of all things queer theology. And the author starts with uh, apologetic strategies in the very beginning, meaning we're going to talk about the Bible and the way the Bible relates to LG. LGBTQ peoples, but after the apologetic strategies, they move on completely. So this is the apologetic strategies section right here. This is the rest of the book. It's one third or less of the book. Um, and so this author really starts to bring us into some more of the nuances and I would say even breadth of queer theology. So I highly recommend this book, highly. You can also check out for another introduction, you can check out Radical Love by Patrick Chang. 
this is a great book because Patrick Chang lists a lot of other resources within this book. So there are chapters in this book that give you a sort of overview of queer theology and of different components. There's a, what is queer theology, a genealogy of queer theology, and then there's conversation about God, conversation about Jesus Christ, and conversation about the Holy Spirit and what queer theology has to say about those. And there's also a massive list of other resources that you can check out. So I highly recommend that book. And then two other books that came in pretty strong for me uh, was this one is called Reforming Sodom by Heather White. Heather White is a scholar uh, and also a historian that has been doing a lot of work around documenting and making known uh, the history of LGBTQ Christianity and, and gay rights. So their work is a lot of really important and necessary chronicling of the true existence of affirmative LGBTQ presence in scriptures. So I would highly recommend you check out any work by Heather R. White, and that book in particular is called Reforming Sodom. The last book I'm gonna list is probably one of my singular favorite books, Beyond Queer Theology by Tonstad. This book is probably my favorite book on the topic that I've read. Uh, you can't really see it here, but almost every other page is dog-eared or highlighted or has a little cat sticky note on it because like, who doesn't want to see a tiny little cat on their favorite page in a book? But this book is called Queer Religiosities, and it's an introduction to queer and transgender studies in religion. So in this, the author, Melissa Wilcox, which I've loved everything that I've seen written by her, um, in this, she kind of talks you through different aspects of queer religiosity, including... Um, actual historical existence of people, and she breaks it down into really easy categories. She talks about stories, conversations, practices, identities, communities, and then politics and power. And so there's real life stories of people from all over the world and different uh, experiences of indigenous queerness, which is one of the things that I found this book to be most useful for, was talking about different, uh, different sections of the population where queerness has existed from antiquity on, showing that it's it's not a new thing, it's not a newfangled thing, it's not a one-off. We've been here and we've been queer for a long time. So I'd highly recommend you check this out. And because it is a more scholarly book, all of the notes are listed. Uh, and also there is study questions and for further thought sections at the end of each chapter, so you can check those out. If you're interested in this topic, I would highly encourage you to check those out. And I would also say, message me, um, hit me up. Glenn will include my contact information in the show notes and we can chat anytime. This is what I do. This is what I live. This is who I am. But I firmly believe that my existence as a queer person of faith who has chosen to remain in Christianity, my existence is not an apology. My existence brings more to the church than they could ever understand. I'm not apologizing. I'm standing up. And at the beginning of this Pride Month, I'm saying my queerness informs Christianity in a way that is holy and good and beneficial. Thanks so much for listening, folks. I'll be joining you back here next week for one more episode where I chat with you about all the research that I did for my thesis, which is actually something I find very interesting obviously, but my research and writing was along the topics of the way theology and scientific development interact, particularly in American history and the study, the scientific study of human sexuality. Um, very excited to talk to you folks about that. If I don't stop talking now, 
this will be a very long video, but I hope you join me next week for that episode as well. Thank you so much, and I look forward to hearing from you. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It's gonna get started, we can do what we wanna wake up. Wake up, wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open. Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token. Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken. Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slope. Grind anything I put my mind up to, I bound to be mine. Best to get it by my way. Follow suit and fall the line. Hope you gotta, hope you get it. Go and check the guidelines, yo. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It's gonna get started, we can do what we wanna wake up. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. So I can see the sunrise Beauty all in disguise So really wipe all my cries Haven't felt this in a while Man, I can't even lie Living one day at a time Man, I'm just getting by Job is stressing me with all the nonsense Can't stop it Quitting, then I'm on my own terms Make a profit Making sure I'm counting every penny in my pocket Chessing ain't no checkers on my moves That's a promise just keep it real, bro, that's all that I know. Waking up at crack of dawn, time not getting slow. Keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need a for growth. Before I blossom, gotta back up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Yeah, keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need a for growth. Yeah. Before I blossom, gotta pack up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Wake up, get your morning started. 